0: This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth from Forbes. I'm Sam Abual samage from Guidehouse Insights.
1: I'm a very frazzled Rebecca Lindland from Rebecca Drives. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so we're gathered once again for a Sunday episode of uh, Wheel Bearings. The grace of proper cornering lines, the love of horsepower, and communion of enthusiasm be with you all. Uh, let us now acknowledge our sins. Actually, let us not acknowledge our sins, if they ever knew.
0: Uh, unless, unless they are beyond the uh, statute of limitations.
2: Correct. Anyway.
0: Um, <laughs> or, or you're planning to run for public office? Either. You
2: know. Welcome to the Church of Wheelbearings. Uh, anyway, <laughs> let's let's talk about what we're driving. Um, so, Sam, you uh, have oh, the man. Genesis G80.
0: I did. I had the, it's the new 2021 model year G80. So this is, you know, an all new vehicle. It's, um, it's, you know, new platform. It's been redesigned. Um, you know, like the last G80, you know, it's, it has that fastback sedan kind of profile to it, but uh, it now, you know, it fully incorporates the, the latest Genesis design language, you know, which means oversized grill, um, which I can do without. But you know things like the the light the lights the lighting both on the front and the rear end they've gone to this twin slim twin horizontal bar uh, look that you know i think looks really sharp you know so it's the same thing that we've seen on the refresh g90 last year <coughs> excuse me and also uh, on the new gv80 and to a somewhat lesser degree on the the refresh g70 that recently launched uh, for 2021 as well. Uh, so this, this new platform that, uh, that that this thing is riding on is the same platform. It's, they call it the M3 platform within Hyundai Motor Group. And it's the same platform that's shared with uh, the GV80, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, uh, which is the SUV. So really, you can think of the GV80 as more of a tall wagon G80, Uh, more so than than an SUV but I mean that's what crossovers are now anyway it's just they're tall wagons so uh, you know this you know this has all the same hardware same basic architecture obviously rides lower because it's a sedan Uh, but you know same same kind of interior design the same dashboard and everything which for the most part is great Uh, you know really love the look of this thing both inside and outside you know the the detail and the finished materials is, is fantastic, but uh, there is the one flaw that we talked about previously, which is the central uh, controller, rotary controller for the infotainment system. Uh, you know as we as we talked about before, unlike uh, other systems like iDrive and um, Mazda's uh, controller, you know it doesn't sit up above the console. It's actually mounted flush in the console, and what you have is a knurled ring uh, that rotates. You put your finger on it and you can spin it around and you, and you can also toggle it left, right, up, down like a joystick. Uh, and it looks really fantastic. But the problem is that knurling on the that surface, you know, that give, that's supposed to give you some traction so you can rotate it. It's not really quite, it doesn't have quite enough texture to it. Uh, and so what ends up happening is you because you can it's also a rocker you know left uh, you know to to select stuff and move up and down in menus and across the screen it you end up oftentimes you have to push down hard enough on it unless you're Finger has an extra amount of texture, or you're using some stickum or something on your fingertip. Uh, Use one of those things that, for for uh, sorting. Yeah, maybe maybe a little rubber. Unless you're
1: a piano player with yeah. really strong hands.
0: Right. <laughs> well, it's not so much that you need strong hands, but it's just the <laughs> amount of force that you have to apply to to get it to rotate. You know, if you if you don't have enough traction with your fingertip, if your fingertip yeah. is too smooth and you don't have quite enough traction, then oftentimes you end up, you know, rocking the thing and making a selection instead of just rotating it. And, you know, after, after driving the GV80 for a couple of hours, you know, I thought, well, I'll give it a chance, you know, once I've had, had a chance to use it a little bit longer. And, you know, after a full week with the G80, it's, I think it's still not good enough. They, they need to change the texture on that, that one component. On all the other stuff where, you actually you know the like the shifter the rotary shifter is just behind it. And that actually sticks up. Uh, And you know, things like the turn signal stocks and, and the wiper controls, they have the exact same texturing on there. But because of the nature of the way that infotainment controller is set up where it's flush in the console, and you do have to press down on it with some force to to get enough grip to rotate it, you often end up, you know, hitting the switches and toggling something that you didn't want to. And so I think that that needs a little more refinement. They need to change the the texturing on that particular piece.
2: Well, the key as we worship at the altar of automobile enthusiasm is to be free from want. And so you're never going to need to use the controller.
1: Oh my gosh. Anyway, I had the same experience because I also had the I had the G eighty, although that's not my primary vehicle. I want to talk about, but I I have I have another vehicle I want to talk about, but I had the same issues with it. And in true engineering form, Sam, you have dialed down, get it, drilled <laughs> down to to the actual problem, which in which is that you end up selecting things in the infotainment system that you didn't want. And it's funny because I remember um, on my drive uh, in, in New York city, there was a lot of feedback that people gave about the infotainment system. And I'm wondering if it's actually more that, like I didn't find that controller to be intuitive, but because I it didn't do the things I wanted it to do. It didn't spin when I wanted it to spin and it didn't, like I wanted to press on it and have it just have, have that, have the push down, but push down activation then select whatever the cursor was on. And it didn't always do that. And I think that that, I think it is a function of the design of it. I, that, that traction that you may not get and just, it it ended up being really frustrating. Now I will say that in my week with the vehicle last week, it does have touchscreen, which I know you'd hate, but it was easier for me. To use the touchscreen, uh,
0: touchscreen. I didn't. Yes, it's a touchscreen. Okay, it's
1: a touchscreen. Yeah, so it, it's a it's a long reach, so mm-hmm. it's not yeah, ideal. it's
0: a fourteen-inch 14 screen.
1: Right, so it's quite a long reach, but touchscreen is an option there, or I mean, it's it's you can also use touchscreen. So I was able to get most of what I wanted done through the touchscreen mechanism because that rotary, flat rotary disk just was so annoying to
0: use yeah so you know and the other thing that does work well on this vehicle is the um the voice control system they do have a good voice recognition yes they do and you know one of the things that's, that's interesting about this uh this new platform both both the um the g80 and the gv80 uh you know they have all the same hardware in there and last week uh nvidia announced that they are actually providing the uh the chip that powers this whole system it's based on their uh, their parker uh system on a chip uh system which is that's actually the the processor that they used in their original drive px uh platform development platform for uh, automated vi- driving development uh, and it's, it's, it's the chip that was used in the original iteration of uh, Tesla's version 2 autopilot. So it's, it's a very powerful chip. Uh, and and you can tell, you know, the the graphics, you know, on the screen, the interface looks great. I mean, very high resolution. Yeah. It's, it's very attractive to look at. It, you know, the, the the system runs smoothly; it never stutters. It's you know, it's very responsive. So and you know, the voice recognition actually works really well in this thing because you know, again, it's powered by this by quite a quite powerful chip, uh, which is great. But you know, it's just the the physical interaction through that controller, I think, is is flawed, and you know, I think it's it's a it's a problem that can be fixed fairly easily. It's just a matter of you know they have to change the the texturing on that surface. I think to so you you have a little more natural traction with less with with less force on the the controller, and then you know when you do press harder, then you can use it to select and, and toggle.
1: So almost emboss it more, right? Like make it more of a dramatic, because I'm trying to think of like how you don't really want to change the look of it and the integration, but just that, that the rim, if you will, like that area where your fingers are touching that touch point that needs to just have a more pronounced feel to it.
0: Yes, exactly. So
1: I've been trying yeah. to
2: look for photos. I was I had the G ninety. This is it different because I, I can't remember having the same trouble. Yes, it is. It, 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 it is, is different. different. Okay. Yes, yeah. yeah.
1: This is coming out in the GB eighty and the G first. Okay, so
2: it's it's not it's it's new. I should I should wait right. to yeah. You
0: it's, about it. Yeah, it's 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 brand. Yeah, you wouldn't have found it in any previous vehicles. Uh, it is a completely new design, uh, and you know, like I said, it it looks it looks really great. Uh, it's just that you know that one. That one flaw, um, you know, and everything else about this car, I really enjoyed uh, driving. Yeah, you know, the one, the, the G80 I had, I didn't have a chance, you know, when we talked about the GV80 last time, I didn't have a chance to drive the 2.5 liter, the base GV80. Um, I did this time around with the, with the G80. I, I had a 2.5 liter rear wheel drive uh, and it was the prestige trim level. So it was the high end trim level with the, f- the four cylinders. This is a 300 horsepower uh, 2.5 liter four cylinder, uh, and 311 foot pounds of torque. You know, it's got more than enough performance, uh, for this vehicle. I, you know, it's not a problem at all. Um, and I had I had no other complaints about this thing. I really like the way it drives. Uh, you know, it, the the ride quality is is excellent. Um, it's quite responsive. You know, the the seats are fantastic. Lots of room in the back seat uh very impressed with that uh let's see what else um just trying to find the uh, yeah the, i the also oh, yeah. i
1: liked the i you're right sam there's a ton of room in the back and then also i love how the passenger seat uh can go really really far forward mm-hmm. if if you ever have that circumstance but even like you know while even doing things like you know it's it's designed obviously for you know, if you have a chauffeur or something as exotic as a driver, but uh, it also can come in handy, even when you're putting kids in the car, when you're, you know, trying to do something in the back seat, it actually, it's, it's, um, I think it's a really interesting design and something that we as Americans wouldn't necessarily be using on a regular basis, but that passenger seat goes almost all the way up to you can put it all the in and, and get like a I don't know probably six or eight inches of room back there I uh, for just whatever you need to do and so I think there's a lot of there's a surprising amount of utility in the vehicle although I do wish that they had actually gone the a7 route and made it a hatchback because I, I, I agree it,
0: you know, they could it have prob- easily it would, done it yeah it would it would be better as, as a hatchback I think uh you know then you have that option you know to fold down the back seat you've got a whole bunch of space back there if you need if you need to carry larger items and you know a large opening to put stuff in you know if you're carrying larger items and you know this has that very similar kind of profile to you know something like the a7 uh yes so you know it it wouldn't even really change the look the, the the aesthetic appearance of it it's just it would change the functionality
1: It would. And it's such a beautiful, beautiful vehicle. I mean, I, I find it really turns heads and I just love the lines of it, the color. I had that Savile silver color that was just absolutely delicious. I mean, it's this really warm, rich gray that I think really stands out. And of course, just the driving experience. So I actually had the 3.5 liter V6 uh, with all wheel drive. And I mean, that thing was fun. You could, you could get up, to a nice level of speed on that thing. <laughs> Just saying, you.
0: Been, <laughs> Not I, that I would ever I do was that.
1: Say
2: you are the most responsible among us. You uh... <laughs> totally responsible.
0: <laughs> yeah, mine <laughs> mine yeah. was the Porto Red. Uh, oh, nice. A, you, yeah, you know, like a Burgundy color. Yeah, uh, really fantastic. So,
1: and uh, the other, the other thing. I'm sorry. The other thing I loved about it was uh, the materials inside. I loved that that matte open pour wood feel. And I just thought the leather, the stitching was really beautiful. I mean, this is, you know, it's a $69,000 vehicle, but you also feel like you're in a $69,000 vehicle.
2: Yeah. That's, yeah, that's was... the, the thing that I think, I'm sorry, Sam. Um, I think they're actually probably one of the top companies right now in terms of executing design and, yeah making it feel appropriate or even better than the price on the sticker.
1: Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of these products were designed when Manfred Fitzgerald who came from Lamborghini when he was running Genesis. And so, you know, Manfred is a very worldly character and very, very elegant, very sophisticated. And, you know, I've never seen him with a wrinkle on anything so he's like us i got it (laughs) he's just
0: like us well and and let me tell you a quick story about manfred he's he's like the mirror version of us exactly
1: (laughs) yes we're his spirit animals so (laughs) i'll tell you a quick uh, this was just this was just uh, remarkable to me so I was at a Genesis event, and we were waiting for it to begin. And it was kind of, we were, all, we were kind of hanging out. Uh, we're still waiting for people to arrive, I should say. And I was debating about what color to make my business cards for Rebecca Drives. I had a white version, and I had a navy blue version. And I thought, why not ask Manfred? We're standing there chatting. And so I said, can I show you something? He's like, of course. That guy took like five minutes looking at my business cards. <laughs> and awesome. I figured... It was amazing, you know, and I was like, it's okay. He goes, no, he goes, I'm thinking, he goes, I'm thinking about you. I want it to reflect you, your business, what you're doing. And he goes, I think the Navy blue is just different. And eye catching, I mean, it was, he gave me an entire dissertation on my
2: business card. That's how we think. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not a automaker sort of designer design chief, but um, sort of leading a creative team. That's how we think that's that's what we do it's, you you have to come up with the story as you're you're coming up with the the uh,
1: concept exactly but you know for for the ceo of genesis to take that time on something as relatively trivial as my the color of my business cards uh, you know uh, it,
2: because there is nothing trivial
1: well, exactly. But, <laughs> but that attention to detail is reflected yeah. in the products that were designed under his tutelage. Yeah.
2: And, you know, I wonder, it, it would be really interesting to ask at some point, um, coming from Lamborghini, you know, small, I know they're owned by Volkswagen, uh, but a yeah. small niche manufacturer, um, to a large automaker like Genesis, uh, That allows you to do things that you can't do. You know, exotics, everybody talks about how the dashboards are covered in leather. You know why? Because there's such small volume automakers, they can't afford the molding to make high quality plastic (laughs) pieces. So it's like all of those things that you can now do that at the scale of of a large automaker making volume uh, cars that you can't do as a small um exotic that uh, it would be interesting to hear what that experience was like and maybe maybe it wasn't anything because you know Volkswagen to Hyundai Kia they're kind of not that different in terms of parent organization size.
1: Yeah, no, but you're right though. I mean the certainly you know the marketing budgets and such at Lambo are significantly smaller. I mean, yeah. we've had friends that work at Bentley at other, you know, and and they're like, "Yeah, we have no budget." You know, and so it's what they focus on. I think that I, you know, I think that his experience at Genesis, you know, he was really able to make his mark on, uh, on this brand. I do think that, you know, and I don't want to speak for him, but I do think that, you know, the dealer network was difficult to kind of, you know, there's been a lot of, he he inherited a lot of challenges um, when he came into the position, but it certainly, you know, I I think that the brand would have been well served to have kept him kept him on, um, but we're seeing the fruits of his labor in these products.
2: Yeah. So, Sam, I totally didn't mean to cut you off like five minutes. ago. I know, ago. right? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I,
0: I don't even remember what I was about. I think to you, were, say. you were
2: talking about the price of yours. So, what did yours? Oh up yeah, up?
0: My, uh, mine. was because uh, it's so new, it actually didn't come with a with a Monroni sticker. Yeah, mine didn't uh, so. either. Yeah, Yeah. so I I priced it out. Um the the Porto Red is a four hundred dollar option, by the way. Um so the base price on the two point five um four cylinder rear wheel drive is forty seven thousand seven hundred. Um all in including delivery. Mine came to just over fifty eight thousand dollars, which, you know, I think for a vehicle of this type, you know, something competing against you know, a BMW 5 Series or, you know, a, a Mercedes E-Class, I think this is, you know, I think that's an excellent value. And, and as, as it always has been with, with Genesis, you know, they're always a, a great value. Um, but, you know, you, when you sit in this, you look at it, you drive it, it doesn't feel like it's, you know, a step down from any of those German premium brands. It, it feels like it belongs in that group.
1: So yeah, that was the rear wheel drive version, right? Yes. Okay, because so mine was the all mine was like the top of the line all wheel drive the whole thing. But I think for almost ten thousand dollars less, how much is the all wheel drive premium? How much do you have to pay for the pay for all wheel drive? It's a couple uh, thousand more, I think.
0: Let's yeah, the, it, it's uh, three thousand dollars extra.
1: Okay, so like for seven thousand more, you're getting the three point five liter, and I don't know that it's worth it. I think that the, the I think that the that four cylinder is so good that I think you're good with the 2.5 four cylinder personally. I mean, I haven't yeah, driven I both agree. of them, you know. I and I found the same thing on the GV80. I I was I was really really surprised and very very happy with how that four cylinder drove. So you know, save yourself some money and I mean that 3.5 yeah, liter.
0: In the, ca- in the case of the GV eighty, there is one other distinction. If you do want the third row, the optional third row, you do have to get the V six. Yes, it's not available with a four yeah. cylinder. That um, is true. That's that's clearly not an issue here. You know, there there is no third row. Right. Um, but uh, if you if you do want the third row in the GV eighty, you're going to have to step up to the bigger engine.
1: Yeah, but I mean, they're really they're they're these products as we've said for now several years. The Genesis products are really stunning, but I feel like now they've come to the next level and the, and the performance is being matched by the accoutrements and, and, and the materials and the looks and everything's kind of blended together and and synthesized into a really, really good product.
0: Agreed.
2: All right. So look- <laughs> um, what, what was the car you wanted to talk about? Rebecca, you teased us a little, so now I kind of want to know
1: so i had the 2021 mazda cx-9 i had the signature it's their large three-row suv it's it carries up to six people i and it's like the genesis you know it's a really nice looking vehicle it has the the signature line which i had was top of the line It it has a it i'm sorry
2: it is lovely yeah.
1: It is. It's beautiful. The interior is stunning on it. And it has a, a special grill on the front of it. Uh, the one I had is all wheel drive, uh, retails for forty six thousand, has a two point five liter engine in it, 250 horsepower, a six speed automatic, which I loved as opposed to a super whiny, annoying uh CBT. So I liked having, you know, the gears and, and all that good stuff. I, it was, it was really, really nice looking. I think that, that I had, I had a couple of issues and I think it's important that our listeners know that when we have these issues, a lot of times we will contact the manufacturer or in this case, um, there's a small group um, on Facebook of a uh, female journalists that I'm part of. And so I asked them, my problem with this vehicle and I was really surprised was that I couldn't get a comfortable seating position. Obviously I'm short and it's not something I talk about a lot in terms of of criticizing a vehicle, but it was just really weird. I kept having to make adjustments to the seat. I felt like I was sitting, I felt like in order to see over the hood, I needed to sit up really high, but the slope of the windshield doesn't allow you to sit up that high. It makes a really close cabin, so like my head felt like it was hitting the top of the, of the roof. I just, which you just gotta is, jump
2: it less. That's all. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, it just and it was just something that I really, really struggled with. And so, you know, I so anyway, so I, I reached out to my friends that are in this small group. One of them happens to be somebody at Mazda, and so she then. You know, contacted me separately, and I just said, you know, I just I I couldn't. I had a hard time kind of getting into an ergonomically friendly position for me. And another one of my friends, uh, Jill Simonello, is only she's like mm-hmm. five one at yeah. most, yeah. right?
0: No, I, I, she's not even. I think she's like four eleven. Is she
1: four eleven? She likes yeah, to hide in trunks, doesn't she? So she? Yes. yes. <laughs> That's her, (laughs) which is a whole nother discussion. Um, But so she, she didn't say that she had those kinds of issues. So I don't know. I've been told before that I, I do prefer a very high seating position, like on the racetrack. I remember one of the, one of the pro drivers said, you know, try and, Put your seat a little bit lower a little bit more forward yeah, but
2: when you're used to a throne it's really hard yeah. <laughs> you <know? laughs>
0: well you know and it, it also you know it depends you know one of the things with seating positions is it's it's not just your overall height but it's also your proportions not everybody has the same proportion of leg length to torso length right well and it's so that's right like... that's gonna yeah i mean that's gonna impact how you where you feel you need to sit to, to, in order, in order to get comfortable. Yeah, no, you're and, and right. To feel and
1: safe. I have a very, very short torso. So my, so and so that's
0: probably why you want to sit a little bit higher than perhaps Jill, you know, who's actually right. just, you know, an inch or two shorter than you, but you know, I think, I think her proportions are slightly different.
1: Right. I think so too. I, um, so, I've
2: been accused of, of sitting very close to the wheel too, like close and, and, High Because it's the sight lines thing like I need to be able to exactly out and a lot of cars are difficult because they either have a fast windshield angle or, um, you know, the the cowl is high or a combo and you can't can't really discern where the front edges are and it yeah. and it's disconcerting.
1: Well, and I had the same issue. I remember having an angle, a windshield angle issue with visibility in the Mazda three. And I think part of it was that just the way that the sun was hitting at that time of year, it was late autumn when I had it, it just was, I don't know. And I, and I do remember also on numerous occasions hitting my head as I got into the vehicle on the Mazda six and having to kind of, Kind of be aware of where the A pillar is. So I think a lot of it is related to the angle of the windshield. And again, it's not a reason not to purchase. It's just a reason, it's just something to be aware of. When you go to test drive a vehicle, make sure that you have a comfortable seating position. There's so many vehicles out there, there's no reason to be uncomfortable. And if you can't get it comfortable, at the test drive, that feeling is only going to get worse. You know, like you're constantly going to be playing with it and, and it's, it's annoying. So, so that was one kind of disappointing thing from my perspective, but again, that's a very personal anecdotal. uh, But but it's also
0: very valid because, you know, we're, you know, everybody's different sizes and shapes and, you know, it's, it's, you know, you got to, you know, as you mentioned, you, know, you need to sit in it, You know, whatever vehicle you're considering buying, you need to sit in it and make sure you can get comfortable in that particular vehicle.
1: No, you're right. And the thing is that you know what's funny is that even though I'm only five feet tall, and this may be TMI, but so my inseam is actually 30 inches, which is long. And a lot of guys actually legs on that. I look at the (laughs) leg. Oh my God, right? (laughs) But you know, it's funny because no, you're Sam, you're right. The proportions make all the difference. And so it's it's, you know, again, like it just how you sit in it. It is a personal experience but you're right Sam and thank you for thank you for validating me. I'm no longer triggered. So <laughs> <laughs>
2: No it's it's true. I mean we talked about this last week too with um the the head restraints and the seating position. Um yes. you know, it's yeah. it the design of this stuff it's not going to work for everybody and and that will be a deal breaker, you know? Uh I'm not going to buy a car that I'm not comfortable in. Regardless yes. of everything I mean, else,
0: yeah. You know, another example, you know, years ago, back in I think two thousand eight or something, uh, Jim McCraw and I, yes, uh, were, were we were at uh, the launch drive for the BMW X six. were in the first generation, and Jim and I both climbed in, and sat in the back seat of the X six. I'm five eleven. Jim is six foot four. He's five five inches taller than I am, but my head was touching the the ceiling in the back seat, whereas his he had you know, a couple, a good couple inches of clearance, just because our, our body proportions are so different, even though he's taller. Yeah, my, my head was the one touching the ceiling because I have a longer torso. So, you know, it's, again, it's, it's a, it's a very personal thing that everybody needs to be aware of when they're, you know, when they're deciding what they want to drive.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So the other issue that I had with, again, and I, the Mazda, it's such a good vehicle. It was lovely to drive. There was such good things about it. But once again, I have managed to break the infotainment system.
2: (laughs) (laughs) They should just hire you for user testing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, I, I was at CES and I did speak with somebody at, I think he was at, um, Samsung mm. about being a tester mm-hmm. because I do use things differently than everyone else. But this again is another example where I've reached out to Mazda and they have gotten back to me and they did confirm this. So this is the situation. So I activated Android auto. And when I did that, I suddenly couldn't use any of the, the native voice recognition commands. And remember, Mazda doesn't have touch screen, okay? So so basically you're down to the dial. That's your only option. But when you are in Android Auto or Apple CarPlay, and they confirm this for me, they deactivate the native voice recognition commands. So now you cannot use, you can't control it by voice, and you can't control it by touch. Your only option is that dial. And that dial has what, in Android Auto at least, the cursor was very, very pale. It was really hard to find where the cursor was on the screen. This also, and like for like ways, but I also ran into an issue where because the native functions don't work, I couldn't change the radio station. You can't even change the band that you're listening to, you can't do anything. Everything is activated through your phone. So, for instance, it wanted me to log into my account on Sirius XM, which I don't typically have to do. So, I'm not logged in on my phone. Really? It, That's what? I don't. Yes.
2: Oh, because it won't use the in-car tuner. It's, it's going to stream it through your phone.
1: Exactly. That's they dumb. assume your everything has to go through your phone. Is that and so?
2: I'm I'm sorry. I don't want to get ahead of you. Go ahead.
1: No, no, it's okay. Cause it's like, wait, what? Uh, So they found their research quote research found that people don't change the radio station very often. And so that was not a priority, which I found fascinating. Mm. I don't know. Maybe people, maybe more people are streaming and, and I'm just really far behind, but I couldn't get AM FM or XM I actually, on, so, I, so I got home fairly late from a program driving back from LaGuardia and I drove in silence because I could not, I wanted ways to be activated. And because of that, I couldn't turn any radio, any sound on, any audio on in the vehicle. And they confirmed that this is the design.
0: I think that, that's a terrible design, design decision. And you know, in general, I, I really like Mazda's approach but that that is an area where I think that they have made a mistake, uh, you know, and I had the CX five last week and, um, you know, it's got the same infotainment system in there. And I had I also had a completely separate problem where Android Auto wasn't showing up at all in it. I could yes. not it, it didn't it didn't appear in the menus. I I contacted Mazda and they said it should be there. We're not sure what's going on. Uh, it, I suspect it may have had it may have been a pre-production vehicle with an older software build that you know didn't have it enabled or something um but yeah because you talked
1: about that before you talked about that issue before
0: right and and i i I plugged in an iphone and tried that carplay worked fine but it did have the same issue as, as you that you had with android auto where when you you know when you have carplay active or android auto the the embedded voice recognition system is disabled for some reason Every other manufacturer that does this, tip, typically what they do is, you know, you have the voice button on the steering wheel. If you, you know, just give it a quick click uh, once, it'll bring up the embedded voice recognition system. If you hold it for a second or two, then it'll activate the the phone's assistant. So either Siri or uh, Google Assistant. Well, that's They'll a little opaque, though. How
2: do you learn? How do you figure that out? Like, is that? You'd obviously need to read the manual. I have somebody tell you,
0: yeah. I mean, I, you know i fi- I figured it out by accident several years ago. Uh, you know when I tried, you know i I pressed and held the the uh, the button, yeah. and it brought up the Google Assistant, which I, um, I guess
2: that kind of brings up the point, right? So, the these cars are so sophisticated, yeah. the automakers are not the automakers, the the dealers. like part of it needs to be a training session. Um, yeah, uh, to walk you through it,
1: yeah, but I tried to use Google Assistant, and because I didn't have, streaming services activated, I could not use the audio that's built into the vehicle. Everything has to go through Google Assistant. And like, you know, so, and I ended up not on my drive home from the airport, but a couple of days prior to that, I found myself on the side of the road trying, trying, (laughs) (laughs) praying, swearing to uh, trying to change the radio station. And that is never appropriate in any circumstance. I think
2: I've had that issue with um, Mazdas too. I I was, what did I have recently? The CX three and, or CX 30. And I I think that that was one of the things I noticed and I just dealt with it by just unplugging the phone. Um, But the, you know, it brings up a good point where they talk about their testing and like, well, we found that people don't use their, their, they don't tune the radio that much. Okay. So that's going to be the engineer speak or the, the sort of software dev speak. They're going to say, well, those are edge cases, the people who do great. Um, you want to talk about edge cases. You have to talk about the actual amount of people, not the percentage, right? So when you get like (coughs) Facebook, right. Talking about edge cases. Facebook has 2 billion users. An edge case of 1%, that's 20 million people, right? That's a shitload of people. (laughs) Like, so they're not edge cases at that point. Like that's a lot of people that your crappy design is going to harm. And I got that whole thing from here. It is ruined, ruined by design, the book by Mike Montero, um, which I'm working my way through. And it's, but it raises good points. You know, designers are responsible for the things that they put out into the world. And this almost strikes me as irresponsible. It's it's it's, you can't explain it away with typical software development, Uh, you know, wave of the hand, be like, oh, well, those that's not that many people or, you know, are the amount of users that we have, like most people do it this way. That's great. But you are talking about a 4000 pound automobile that is hurtling down the road. You can't make it confusing. You have to make it easy because you're going to distract people and exactly. They're going to crash into stuff.
1: (laughs) And I mean, I was so distracted just trying to find the cursor on in in ways trying to find where it was that I mean I just I, and I and I told Mazda this I said I can't in good conscience recommend this vehicle especially because the touchscreen option is not available either so they have taken away two of the potential methods of interfacing right. with this and. It was just, and again, like we're trained professionals—in quotes. Uh, You know, we we should know what we're doing here. And you know, they said, "Well, you were on the Mazda CX-30 launch; you didn't have these problems." I'm like, "You're right. I didn't have these problems." But but it's a good it's a good lesson for me to make sure because oftentimes we don't listen to the radio on those launches because in the old days we used to have a driving partner and we would be chatting. But also, we want to listen to the vehicle. We want to listen to the the NVH—the noise, vibration, and harshness. the vehicle. So I almost never turn the radio on, on a test drive, unless I'm actually testing the system. But, but it's a good, it's a good lesson for me to remember to really go through kind of an exhaustive process with the infotainment system. But yeah, this was just really, it's so frustrating because they've done such a beautiful job on this vehicle it looks great. The interior's beautiful. The materials, the fit and the finish, that you know, it was quiet. I mean, there's so many good things, you know, about it, but I just can't in good conscience recommend it with that infotainment system, the way that it's set up right yeah,
2: now. And I so I'm curious though, like, is it actually a system limitation too where it, it can't sort of mix those functions? And yes. It's to,
1: designed to that. Yeah, well, it's designed well, like that. Yeah,
0: but I think what Dan's saying is, is it a technical limitation that it can't do it? And oh, my, mm. my. My guess is it's probably not. I think it was a design decision like, rather a than a technical decision. limitation. Like that. So and
2: that's that's bad design thinking. That's
0: right. That's well, well, you mentioned something earlier. You know, when I when I talked about you know with the the voice button on the steering wheel, typically, you know, if you give it a single tap you know, it'll bring up the embedded voice control. And if you press and hold, then it brings up the the phone's digital assistant. And I think maybe the thinking behind this design decision was discoverability. You know, because, you know, again, as I said, I stumbled across that behavior by accident several years ago. And I've noticed that almost every vehicle does it that way. I think Mazda opted not to do that, perhaps because of the discoverability issue. They wanted consistent behavior, whatever mode that you're in. And and I think, you know, there, there's some reasonable thinking behind this. You know, if, you know, whatever, if you happen to be using in the smartphone projection mode, mm-hmm. they want to keep it focused on that. They don't, necessarily want you jumping back and forth between different modes if you don 't have your phone connected, then you know you 're using the embedded system and and that 's the interface they want want to give you yeah I, trying I to mean, keep it i 'm I'm not, I'm not saying I agree with that decision i'm just i 'm just trying to explain what I think might be the rationale yeah
2: it. I, when you, when you when you start to talk it out right it, 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 you can see how they may get to that decision point, but I, I think what um, I have found as a, a user. Is, you know, like we talk about the BMW cards with the gesture controls and most people that I talk to, you know, they laugh about them or they they don't like them. But OK, that's fine. You can either use it or not. There's three other ways to get information into that system. Yes. Um, it's the same thing that you were just talking about, Rebecca, where they've closed off the avenues for interfaces. Yes. So when you're designing something that people are supposed to use, like people at large, not specifically trained users. You've got to you've got to meet them where they are and, and you get to that lowest common denominator design point. So how do I make this easy? How do I make it understandable without somebody having to crack the manual? Uh, and and that's really, really hard. So I'm not um, really casting too much uh, aspersions on, on Mazda. They've they've thought about it. Some of the decisions don't really pan out in the real world. Um, but the, the, when you make it hard to to use the thing like that's. <laughs> That's a problem. That's bad. Yeah. It's not good.
1: So the other thing. So I I'm just reading reading over my notes that I sent to Mazda. So the other thing is that I did finally figure out uh, how to access the channel list by the rotary dial, but. <laughs> It starts at one or 87.7 or, you know, it's oh, or 590. It the five bottom, 90. the, the,
0: the it's, beginning of whatever band you're in. Yeah. Yes.
1: It starts at the very, very beginning every single time. Well, yeah. So basically, I mean, you know, I, from a consumer standpoint, it's a priority to, and we find this in other vehicles, it's a priority to program in your favorites. Okay. So that's an absolute, but God forbid you stray from your favorites because you're not going to be able to listen. And, and, you know, again, like it, it's, I, and I was, I was with another manufacturer when I was getting these messages back from Mazda and I do appreciate their attention and their response. But, you know, when I said, well, the, Mazda found that people didn't change the radio station, they were like, wait, what, what are you talking about? Everybody changes. the radio Right. Station. And, and so,
2: like for me, what, what, what <laughs> aggravates me is when I, when I can't, jump back and forth i don't want to stream stuff on my phone if like if i'm in the the area where i can receive the broadcast why would i want to stream it on my phone
1: Yes, or, or even you know what I what I find that I do a lot of times. First of all, if different people are in my vehicle, right, we want to listen to different music. Right. I uh, but I also I will tend no, to. No, 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 that's
0: not how it works. I'm <laughs> behind the wheel. In control. I pick what's on the radio.
1: <laughs> okay, you can tell I'm the youngest. No, it just <laughs> depends. I never, it, I never had those rights. <laughs> it depends on how magnanimous
2: you're feeling. <laughs>
1: uh, no, you're right because my dad would always change it just as we started to sing a song. Oh, he would change the channel. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you know, it's just, so I, I think we've, we've bashed them enough, but it's just, again, it's something on a test drive that I, uh, if you're a user that you never listen to the, to the audio in your car, that's fine. Except that this also applies. Like if you, if you're in ways, yeah. you know, if you don't want to, and, and what's interesting too, is that, you know a lot of manufacturers typically on on the you know more um, economical vehicles they don't even put navigation in anymore so you are forced to use waze or you know you're forced to use android or apple carplay so this decision is just it's it's really it's really baffling to me, and the fact that all three of us, you know, kind of regardless of how we use it, I think we all think in in different ways. We all bring something different to the table, and I think this is something that we all can agree on. Is just it's not safe, and that's my number one issue with it. Let's, you know what um, we
0: need to do is we, we need to make a checklist of you know these are these are things that you need to try out when you go to test drive a car. You're yes, thinking about buying. Make sure you try all of these things before you walk away or before you sign anything, and make sure that you're comfortable with the way that that functions. We should we should do that and post absolutely, it get, absolutely get right on that, Dan. I will.
2: <laughs> I was going to say, you know, since we're uh, officially a corporation, we can um, create a design uh, design and testing consultancy. And they can just send us the cars and a million dollars, and we'll we'll give them a large report. <laughs> That's yeah. There you go. <laughs> Uh, maybe not a million. I'll cut him a break. Uh, <laughs> but it's it's like this is a big part of designing cars, and it's, it's something that um, seems to me that it, you could actually make it easy even for those people who don't. Y- you know that, okay, most people are not going to do it, but the people that will, like it, it's not hard to put that function in. So I I just, I, I don't know. Um yeah. Anyway, uh, otherwise, the CX-9 is lovely, although I wish you tried it in the summer because my one complaint about the CX-9 was that the AC felt a little weak, but I haven't had one in years. So the, that was a, like the, mm. f- when they first launched this generation of CX-9, um, the AC had a hard time coping with a summer. Um, oh,
1: interesting. In like I mean, I will say, you know, the it was an all black interior with some slight brown wood accents to it. But again, you know, for a this was forty six thousand, I which is a lot of money for, but it's a seven C or six C rather. I mean, three for, row, you know like
2: that. I mean it's its biggest natural competitor obviously is going to be like the Telluride or the uh the Palisade
1: at this point. Yeah, which I still And they're larger. <laughs> they are larger and I still do love those vehicles, but you know, this had really nice uh, quilting on it. Very, you know, lovely diamond quilting attention to detail. It's certainly, I mean, the, the third row is going to be cozy as most third rows in this size vehicle are. Um, but you know, it had a nice in, in the third row, you've got a nice uh, center console situation and oh, no, I'm sorry, in the second row um, it's, it is a captain's, It's kind of a captain's chair, not totally, because the center center row does have a console in it. Uh, So accessing the third row, there there was a good enough room. And there's actually a nice amount of cargo space, even when the third row is up, and then a lot of cargo space if you don't need that third row. So, you know, overall, it was, I think it's a very, very good vehicle. It certainly should be on your on your shopping list, except that infotainment system, in my mind, I just can't in good conscience recommend it.
2: Okay, cool. Um, let's move on. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Uh, so I had the Lincoln Corsair, um, which, uh, was really like, I'm impressed by this, uh, you know, I don't I was looking for sales figures for how the MKC sold, because to me personally, I always forgot about the MKC, but I think it actually sold OK. Um, but, you know, with the Corsair, Lincoln, they're using a lot of fancy words and high minded descriptions to launch this vehicle and it's, it's a luxury compact. It has a cool name, which is great. Um, they don't need to expand on that in their press release. They, they talk about how uh, Corsair is related to the Latin root of cursus. And I'm like, any time you bring like the phrase curse near Platinum. your car, like, <laughs> s- stop it. Um, you know, but uh, it's, this is the vehicle that Lincoln needs most. Not so much to erase the memory of the MKC, uh, but to better establish... Lincoln as more than fancy Fords, because I never felt have- that the MKC really, really achieved its launch velocity past the the
1: escape. Did you have the 2020 or 2021? I believe I had the 2020. Um, okay, yeah, because the 2021 is not on the website yet. And I actually had a hard time even finding it on the, on the consumer website, because it doesn't show up in Google results. So they need to work on their SEO. I'm,
2: Just well, you know, you don't want to necessarily <laughs> be putting the SEO dollars behind a site that's not live. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, um but yeah the uh I,
0: I don't think there's any notable changes for the 21s anyway i think it's basically carryover
2: yeah it's probably details because it just launched for 20 um and yeah. I, I did yeah have...
1: no i was trying i was trying to find the 2020 so anyway
2: go ahead uh no that's fine um i digress i did have this the top trim so it had all the goodies and the all-wheel drive and the 2.3 liter engine and the i think it led headlights and, and everything and it's it's lovely, you know. They've pulled the um, the styling elements from the Aviator and Nautilus, mostly the Aviator, down to uh, scale down for the Corsair, and that's been successful. It's really good looking, uh, and in inside, same thing. Uh, it's it's really really nice. Lincoln has made a, an effort, and it's paying off to have a cohesive family design language. We can talk about how. So derivative, it may be these, these are classic design themes, Um, you know, everybody's going to pick up a little bit of sort of Bentley or whatever in the grills and stuff. Eh, Okay, that's fine. It looks good. Who cares?
1: (laughs) Is this competing with like the Audi Q5?
0: uh it's, yes it's, it's yeah. a
1: five seat right yeah. so uh, i'm just trying to because it's it's so hard to discern the size and i haven't i didn't get a chance to get into the city they had an event late friday afternoon that i was not gonna venture in for um yeah so
0: this is this is q5 x3 um lexus okay. uh, nx kind of size class okay
2: yeah. and, and in that class it's really really competitive it, it mm. they have made a real big effort the interior is lovely it's the nice materials great design ergonomics are pretty good uh it's it's pretty easy to use everything um what is it sync is it sync four now what do they call no, it No, it's still sync three sync on this three. one okay uh, either way uh pretty well done um you know infotainment is is you're going to use it a lot and it's good here um the tech is is really uh sort of unobtrusive and and it has all of the the cameras and the blind spots and the it, i actually triggered the auto braking um by mistake <laughs> did you yeah. well done you, were you backing oh. up oh. no no and i was coming off an exit <laughs> ramp They're actually coming down an exit like oh i was behind i was following a group of traffic and i didn't yeah i was you tell yeah. <laughs> Anyway, it
0: thought I was a little too close. It was, dem- it was demonstrating how you know, modern advanced driver assist systems make it's... drivers complacent and lazy. Uh,
2: yeah. And I was driving aggressively, and I wanted people out of my way, and they decided they were going to slow down even more and take the exit before mine, um, which uh, would have been okay. And I would have reacted, except for the car got the jump on me and decided to deploy, like, full anchor on, <laughs> on the highway. I'm looking in my rear view mirror, like, oh, I'm gonna get just, I'm gonna get completely run over here. Uh, I do
1: have a question about that. Yeah. Do when does automatic front braking activate the brake lights in the back? Yeah, I yes. believe it does. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Okay, I just want to confirm. Any, that any,
0: one, anytime the cell is greater than like 0.05 g's. Okay. Uh, you know, which is you know. But even in and, like
1: adaptive cruise control, yes. does it?
0: If if it's if it's hitting the brakes that hard, yes. Yeah. Most okay. of the time, you know, like for ACC, most of the time your cell is low enough that it's not going to activate the brakes. Right. But, um. If it, you know, if the if you're if somebody cuts in front of you and the ACC hammers, sure, there, it's, it's the brakes. It's going to okay. turn on the brake lamps. The brake lamps. Okay,
1: but it doesn't necessarily do that when you're just when it's just slowing as gradual more gradually. Yeah, right. Like like it, like it would yeah, if you were if you had your foot on the brake.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a threshold based on on the the amount of deceleration that you have. And it's, okay. this also applies to regenerative braking. You know, if you're using hmm, a, a, sure. an electric vehicle with strong regen, it's right. going to turn on those brake lights as well.
2: Yes, and okay. that's, that was one of the things that I wondered, and I, I found the, like I look for the glow, especially at night, just to just yes, confirm. Yeah, yeah. Um, because sometimes the the systems with the if you put them in B mode or, or whatever, you just get the most regen for one pedal driving. Um, right. It can make you concerned that people are going to clobber you from well, behind. Well,
1: exactly. Yeah, I'm here to answer. To, to ask those questions and you're here to answer those are good those are good (laughs) concerns
2: um so uh it's good that it has safety tech uh yeah um you know but the the thing that impressed me most i think was it just feels like a very appropriately fancy cabin and we've spent years and years with lincoln's that were really not they were less distinct and so it's they're really finding their footing to be very distinctive and they have a lincoln way of operating you know this has the piano key Mm -hmm. shifters which it's mostly successful, but it's not any easier than a dial or a, a traditional shifter. They tuck in nicely, so they don't take up much room, so they free up console space. That's that's fine. Um, I kept reaching for a shifter for a couple of days. <laughs>
0: um,
2: but that that's okay. Uh, you know, some of the design decisions, uh, it does have nice open port wood in places and and good leathers in this, uh, this trim level, which is the top trim, so it has the best materials. Um, in some places, there's that piano black plastic, you know, shiny black plastic. I, and I'm not sure that that's going to hold up, but uh, okay. Um, I was even surprised the multi-way Lincoln seats, uh, the the super adjustable ones they they make an appearance here and i've fought with them in the past but uh, i was able to find an agreeable position with this version of them versus uh, some other well, the, these are slightly
0: miles. less super adjustable than the ones in the bigger lincolns yeah you know, i think these are like 14 way as opposed to the 30 way seats in the like the navigator that's too aviator.
1: many ways that's <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I too like... much time fidgeting with yeah. it yeah <laughs>
1: I like where the voice recognition button is on the steering wheel, yeah, or was that thumb? annoying?
2: No, yeah. I I thought it might be like uh like I'd hit it by mistake and stuff, but no, right. it's it's in a okay. really good spot and it's it's distinct, so it's up there where your hands are going to be anyway. Um, so I like that spot too.
1: Yeah, and I also like where the cruise control buttons are because in some vehicles I found they have a stock which is often hidden behind the steering wheel. Yeah.
2: Yeah, Toyota, especially Mercedes, um, BMW does that. Yeah,
1: yeah, which is really annoying. But, but no,
2: this looks really nice. No, it's it's for this kind of vehicle. Like this is where all the sales are happening in in this yeah. segment and for for premium cars overall. And it's it's a very good uh, effort here. Uh, it drives with um, good discipline. The two point three liter has plenty of power although the the standard like the two liter engine that it comes with is the two liter turbo it's so this is 280 horsepower 310 pound feet with the 2.3 liter turbo uh because i had the the reserve um so the standard corsair has the two liter turbo with 250 horsepower and 275 pound feet so that's that's a noticeable difference but it's not that much um and i think that one of the things that you're gonna miss out on is whatever kind of fuel economy you can get out of it because it's just not it's a little thirsty um for for what it is and i remember that from the escape as well uh that i had with this engine it'll hustle no problem but uh it's it's gonna spill fuel while it does well they, they they do there
0: is a plug-in hybrid version of this coming it was actually supposed to be launching about now but because of some issues they had with batteries they they actually pushed back the launch until mm-hmm. uh into the first quarter of 2021 uh, but it, it you, there will be a plug-in hybrid version <clears throat> that has over 30 miles of electric range um and all electric all-wheel drive so there, there's an e-motor on the rear axle
2: Oh, that'll make a big difference, and it'll change the attitude a little bit, too, um, where you just get that nice shove from behind. Um, mm. You know, f- functionally, the cargo space is good. I love the hatch design that overlaps the edges of the rear quarters. They stole that from Audi, but whatever, great artists steal. Uh, <laughs> um, and I think it helps make the hatch opening maybe a little wider than it would otherwise be, and you don't have to worry about bashing the taillights that are left with um you know something like you take it to the home improvement store and you're trying to load some lumber or something because everybody does that with their luxury crossover right
0: Uh, of course
1: did did you have the reserve two equipment
2: which is yeah that's an eleven
1: thousand dollar package it
2: is but it replaces the reserve one which i think is like a six thousand dollar package right so it's it's like overall but it's
1: eight but it's eight thousand dollars more yeah but wow. what's the okay. what's the total tally come from? I don't, I didn't. So now you're getting up, I'm at 55,2 right now. Yeah. And I, as I build this, there's a $700 iced mocha selection, if you want, or ceramic pearl. So there's, so there's, there are some, there's paint colors um, yeah, some paint colors that go for about 700. And then you can get a $1,600 appearance package, um although no that's part of it so, right. and then let me just look at the wheel types you, you also, can add twelve hundred dollar nice. wheels none of those are really
2: offensively priced though like if you want the stuff you're gonna pay for it. Yeah. 1200 bucks for a set of wheels is
1: not it's not bad yeah no and, and they're they're pretty good there's actually the there's another one that's actually uh oh, 1600 that are fabulous though Mm -hmm. So I would go for those. It's not going to change your payment much. Yeah. And
2: that's the thing. Like (laughs) even if, even if you fully load it up, I expect that it's probably not going to crack 70, 65, or or maybe even less. Like I honestly don't know how high you can get the price. Um, Yeah.
1: No, I don't think I'm at 58 right now with my fancy wheels. Yeah. So I think that, I think it's, I think it's pretty close to that. And that's, that's a really, really nicely equipped vehicle. So you're 58, which, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a, that's not bad. It's $14,000 worth of options, but you're getting, you know, you're really getting the different engine. You're getting a beautiful interior. You are getting some cool things there.
2: Yeah. And, and what would you pay for, for the Audi or for the BMW? And and, exactly right. You know, uh, this drives every bit as well as those cars do the, the 2.3, you know, it's, its engine note isn't the smoothest, but uh, it's quiet in here. Um, it's quiet enough inside that my 12-year-old, who is uh, prodigiously noisy in his own right, um, <laughs> commented that rich people get to enjoy a quiet engine. Um, well, you which know, I and that, great. <laughs> that, I
0: think that is one of the the most important distinctions between this and the Cadillac XT4. Yeah, you know, the the NVH in in the Corsair, like other Lincoln's, is just outstanding. Oh, it's, it's good. Yeah. yeah, fantastic yeah. job whereas the XT4 as much as it is fun to drive you know its NVH characteristics are bad you, well, know, you get a yeah. lot of road noise yeah. coming through
1: a lot of road noise well and
2: the but the and the thing the, the Corsair doesn't really give up much on being fun to drive either it's it's fun on oh, a twisty true. Yeah. road um yeah. you know it's it'll, it'll hustle and it's it feels good doing it um so that's again that was one of the things i noticed about the escape is like what well, they this is a fun car to drive uh and that's nice to to have even if you're just you know driving a compact crossover or a compact luxury crossover so it's it's comfortable it's quiet it's luxurious and it's a good time on a back road like that's that's uh that's a pretty hard combo you know the spider chart of that is is tough to to achieve so they've done a really good job with it um the throttle calibration i felt was a little over eager so it made made uh, uh made it feel less smooth i think especially coming away from stops but there's there's drive mode so you can put it in conserve mode and it smooths out um those inputs uh you, you know it's it's a really credible contender i much prefer it over um the the lexus well i i was thinking of the lexus rx probably because we were talking about it last year i mean last week <laughs> um and uh the infotainment is good uh Probably better for the class than, than a lot of others that are a little bit more Byzantine to use. Although I did feel like, you know, they've got buttons on the center stack, which is good, but the buttons aren't different enough. So it's you still have to look. And uh, if you wanted to switch like airflow modes with HVAC, you press the button, which normally you'd expect it to cycle through the modes. No, it brings up more buttons on the screen this time. And then you get to poke at the screen to figure out where you want airflow so that that to me was another one of those mistakes like did you actually try to use this <laughs> why would you make me press three buttons just to do one thing uh, come on
0: you can you can do it all by voice though uh,
2: yeah I, I i i watched 2001 <laughs> man you don't talk to machines they will they will stab you in the back
0: <laughs> every time every open
2: time. the pod bay doors uh no <laughs> so yeah the uh the m the i mean the, the mkc was anonymous to me and the corsair i think helps get past that mk whatever naming scheme so people aren't saying the lincoln what uh you say corsair it's a cool name it sticks a little better and the vehicle itself stands up to scrutiny uh it's a it's a really excellent um turnabout for for lincoln we we, you know a couple years ago we were talking about lincoln dying and i I, (laughs) i mean I don't know what their sales look like. I haven't really delved in. I was poking around trying to figure it out um, last night, uh, but the, their product is good at least. I think
1: they did mention that because uh, Michael Sprague is the head of Lincoln uh, or some division of it or some part of it. Uh, he was on a podcast and mentioned that the new dealerships are actually seeing an increase in traffic, uh, which is interesting even because that's, when you're the dealer experience, I think when you're trying to revitalize a brand, you have to pay attention to that dealer experience. It's one of the big challenges that Genesis has. You know that it doesn't have a separate standalone dealerships, so I think that Lincoln has. They, they need to really flex on that advantage that they have. They also, you know, have uh, great pickup and delivery services. You know, they can kind of pull some of the black label attributes of it and really appeal. I think you know this size of vehicle is so great particularly for smaller households, for single women and men, you know, I think that there's opportunities here that Lincoln really could capitalize on with the right brand of marketing and the right dealer strategy and stuff. So I think it's a, I I, I would like to be able to drive one at some point. There's a very limited fleet here in the New York area for Lincoln, but um, I think it's, I think there's a lot of potential here. It's, it's
0: yeah. really compelling. Yeah. It's very, yeah. For, for, for what it's worth, um, you know, on Ford's uh, end of October, end of September uh, sales release, cause they, they report quarterly. Um, they still have the Corsair and MKC bundled together because they had to change over partway through last year. But um, through the first nine months of 2020 uh, sales were basically flat for Corsair and MKC which you know, given where the market was as a whole, is actually really good. I mean, it's if, if the market in a normal market, it probably would have been up pretty significantly in that same period. Uh, so they sold, they've sold through the first part, through the first nine months of this year, they sold eighteen thousand, wow, um, all over eighteen thousand Corsairs.
1: That's good. Yeah, I, I mean, considering it's, what's it's their, going on this year,
0: it's it's Lincoln's best-selling vehicle. Yeah, um, by a pretty pretty significant margin.
2: Yeah. So it uh, gets my my hearty endorsement, which is worth everything they paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to some topics. We can stay with Ford because their biggest news is that they finally uh, lifted the curtain uh, on the F-150. We, uh, we saw it a while ago and now we can talk about it. And, and Sam, you you were able to get the full dog and pony.
0: I did. I did the uh, the media launch drive of the uh, the new F one hundred and fifty. Had a chance to drive uh, several different examples. I spent the most time in uh, in a King Ranch Power Boost. So for twenty twenty one model year, uh, you know, and uh, in typical automaker PR parlance, you know, the F one hundred and fifty is all new except, you know, it's mostly kind of new, not not entirely new. Uh, But there's actually a lot more new under the skin. Than what is apparent um, from just from looking at it, you know. I mean, the design, you know, it's a it's a normal, it's a natural evolution of of what they've been doing with F one hundred and fifty for the last couple of generations, especially the previous one. Um, but it doesn't look radically different, uh, you know. The powertrains, you know, there's six powertrains for this year. Five of them are are carried over from the three point three liter naturally aspirated V six, the two point seven and 3.5 Eco EcoBoost V sixes. Uh, the 3-liter diesel V6 and the 5-liter V8. Those are all carried over. The only difference there is the 6-speed that used to be standard with the uh, with the, the base engine is gone. It's now 10 speeds across the board. That's the only transmission they have in the F-150. That's a good transmission. What's, what's new for this year is the, what they call the power boost. That is the new F-150 hybrid. and uh, you know, So this is using Ford's modular hybrid transmission system, and this is the third application of it. We've already seen it in the Explorer, uh, the Aviator Grand Touring, and now in the F-150. In the Explorer, they paired this transmission with a 3.3-liter naturally aspirated V6, the ba- with the, basically the base engine from the F-150. In the Aviator, they put it with a 3-liter twin-turbo V6, and because it's a plug-in hybrid, they also gave it a bigger motor. That Ford's hybrid transmission, hybrid system for these vehicles, is basically it's the 10-speed automatic, but they sandwich in an electric motor in between the end of the crankshaft and the input and the torque converter. Uh, so you have an, an extra, you have that electric motor you know, that can drive the torque converter and, and the rest of the drive line. Um, and so the the Aviator has is the most powerful Lincoln ever ever produced. You know, 490 horsepower and 650 foot-pounds of torque. In the F-150, they paired it with the 3. Point, it's a non non plug-in, but they paired it with the 3.5-liter EcoBoost. So, 450 horsepower, 570 foot-pounds of torque, most torque ever in an F-150. Um, so they're not. They didn't try to make this. I mean, it is actually quite fuel efficient, but they didn't, you know, maximize fuel efficiency like they could have in this thing. They went for um, functionality, you know, trying to enhance the capability of what an F-150 does. Uh, For example, this thing can tow 12,700 pounds. Uh, The last hybrid full-size pickup truck, you know, was the old GM two-mode hybrids that were built between uh, 2008 and about 2012. Uh, which were very expensive, and uh, also, um, you know, were limited to about six thousand pounds of towing capacity, uh, and you know, less than two thousand pounds of payload. This F one fifty is you know, like three thousand pounds of payload, twelve and a half thousand pounds of towing. You know, so this the only the if if you want more towing than this, you've got to go with the standard three five EcoBoost, which can go up to fourteen thousand pounds. Uh, I spent the most time in, in, in the hybrid and was really impressed with it. A couple of years ago when they first started talking about it, one of the things that they highlighted at the time was that, you know, they were going to have a built-in um, power takeoff capability, you know, for, you know, basically use the hybrid system as a generator. Because what they're doing is, you know, they're thinking about, you know, who are our customers that actually use these things as a work truck? And you can, you know, while the one I drove was the high-end, you know, King Ranch luxury version, you can also get the same powertrain in an XLT, which you know is the that's the high volume model, and that's the one that um, you know a lot of a lot of commercial customers use. That or the XL, the XL, the base XL is the only one where you can't get the hybrid. But they, you know, the uh, what they call Pro Power on board. Um, allows you to get AC power. It gives you, uh, with the hybrid, the base pro power on board system is a 2.4 kilowatt system. So you get four 120 volt outlets in the left rear corner of the bed. And that's on every single one of these hybrids. Uh, so you can plug in your tools, charger, charger tools and things like that, uh, which is great on a job site because a lot of commercial customers, you have to haul along a generator to, to power their equipment. Now you don't have to. And then there's also an optional 7.2 kilowatt pro power on board, which uh, adds a 240 volt outlet in the back there. So you got a 240 volt NEMA so you plug. So can, you can charge electric cars. Exactly. So you can, you know, you can, if your Mach-E, your Mustang Mach-E runs out of juice, you can just plug it into your F-150 power boost and be ready to go in about three or four hours. Uh, but, you know, the, you know, the, I think. The biggest complaints, you know, I think that we've had about the F-150 in the past have been, you know, the interior materials and quality and fit and finish, Um, especially when you compare it to the Rams. You know, the Rams have always been a a step above. And they really step Ford really stepped up their game with this generation of F-150. It's much better, much, much better. You know, even the, the base, you know, XL and XLT um you know they still have mostly hard plastics but the texturing on the plastics is looks much better feels better um you know and they've done you know they've got some neat little touches like on the xlt's at the front corner of the the door panel just below the mirror there's a little trim plate there that has a silk screen map of detroit on it (laughs) you know so you can you can see where the truck was built uh you know there's a, a lot of other nice details they if you, um, all the, on the XL, the base XL, you can still get a column shift on that one.
2: Yeah. And a, <laughs> and, and a bench seat.
0: Um, can you right, man. It one, it
2: one, three on the tree, um, man.
1: And
0: they all, <laughs> well, they 10 also on have, the tree, actually.
1: and you may, you may be getting to this, but I love that interior work surface.
0: Yeah. Well, that's what I was just going to get to
1: thing. They have
0: on, you know, the most of them now, you know, get sold with a, a console mounted shifter. If you get the console mounted shifter, it, this is one of the standard features for this year. There's a button beside the shifter. You press that, the whole shift lever motors down into the cavity in front of it, and leaves a flat leaves a flat surface there. And then the armrest actually folds out. So the center armrest, you can open that up, and you have a nice large flat work surface there, which is fantastic. Uh, you know, for again, for contractors, plumbers, electricians, whatever. You know, if you've got your laptop there you got to print out an invoice you can put you know put your laptop on there or you know you know write stuff out uh if you're still doing it that way uh so they've really thought about and you know we talked about this previously this whole idea of human-centered design there's a Mm. lot of these little touches you know looking at how do people actually use their trucks what do they what are the things that they need not just you know what kind of neat features can we put in here but you know what are the kinds of features that for someone who's using this as a truck as a tool what are the things that they would actually benefit from and then putting those kinds of features in here and it you know i think it it works really really well
1: yeah i think that's what i found when i saw the vehicle uh back at the end of august we weren't allowed to drive it but i felt like every they they had just thought of so many things there were so many conveniences just just the details were amazing. And I think they just did a really, really nice job appreciating and embracing their user. Uh, instead of trying to tell people how to use the vehicle, they listened to how people use the vehicle. And I think that that created those emotional solutions that people are looking for in, in a product, especially, you know, the, a pickup truck user a lot of times they are, you know, it's, it starts with they need a pickup truck, period, and they may have to compromise on other things like design aesthetic or something. But if you can say you've got a pickup truck and we're going to and, and we're also going to listen to how you use it, all those smaller features, those smaller details, I think they've done an amazing job on this.
2: They uh, that is their most important vehicle.
1: Oh, then, for sure. But they respect that though.
2: Yeah, they are you know not going to screw it up.
1: <laughs> no, they're not. But, you know, it, it's it still is they've done a really really good job of protecting this vehicle.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I'm That's- I'm impressed with the upgrades. I'll, you know, my biggest complaint about the F150 has always been the um interior quality for the price, uh, at least for the last couple of generations and I think the last time we talked it, it the impression was that it's much, much better.
0: It, it is absolutely way better. And, you know, among some of the other interesting new features, um, you know, on the higher end models, you can order um, what's basically a lie flat front seat, you know, kind of, <laughs> kind of like a business class seat that, you know, it's a, they call it the max recline seat that goes back almost completely flat. You know, so yeah. if you need to take a nap, you know, in the middle of the afternoon or you're on a road trip. You I mean, who doesn't
2: take a nap in the middle of the afternoon? <laughs> like, of course.
0: Well, I mean, that's the beautiful thing about working from home. You know, you can right. do that. Um, but, you know, if you're, if you have to work outside the home, you know, and you work from an F-150, now you can do that in your F-150. Well,
2: you know, um, I'm, I'm waiting for them to just put an air mattress in the bed, though.
1: Like, <laughs> why no, would... no, no. They've got to have the built in, like, so the cushion, yeah. right. you just press a button, the cushion pops up yeah, exactly. and creates and uh, that's what I want. Yeah.
0: That's, an, that'll be another, the
2: king that instead of the king ranch that would be the king size
0: yeah <laughs> uh, another another neat touch that you can get in the uh, in, in the the in the crew cab version is uh, under the rear seat so you can you know you can fold up the the rear the seat cushions in the in the back and uh, you can get this um, fold out uh, storage car uh, compartment You know, so it's kind of like a little origami thing. You you can fold flat. So if you need a large flat surface inside that's, you know, that's locked away, you can have that. So you have a flat floor there. But then you just pop this thing up and you have uh, a storage area there. It's uh, probably about six, seven inches high. It runs, spans the full width of the cab, you know, and the the depth of the the rear seat. Uh, And then what you can do though is when you put the seat back down again, there's uh, there's a, a keyhole there. You can actually take your key and lock it. So the seat, so you can lock stuff away inside, locked in the cab. So it's both not visible, it's out of sight, and it's locked away under the rear seat in this compartment. And also on either end of that, um, you know, when you have the seat uh, folded up, there's actually. Um, you know, like there's hooks there that you can tie down. So if you have to put something large inside and you want to tie it down so it doesn't move around, there's tie downs inside the cab, you know, that are just stamped, you know, from the seat frame. You know, they, they put a couple of extra loops on there and you have places to tie down inside. So a lot of cool details like that that, that really make it more useful. Um, also, you know, something you, know, you don't really you don't typically think of something like a full size pickup as a technology leader Um, but the f-150 is one of ford's first vehicles with their new electrical architecture that supports uh full bumper to bumper over the air software updates
2: is it also 48 volt
0: it's not 48 volt no No. Uh, but it does have software updates for all the system available for all the systems in the vehicle so you know if they need to to update the software for you know, a problem with the, the seat controls or the mirrors or the powertrain. They can push out those software updates to you um, over the air. You don't have to go into a dealer. You can still go. If you prefer to, you know, have a dealer do it, you can you can take it to your dealer and have them do it. Uh, but you know, otherwise, you can just do it, you know, just wait, and it'll just show up and, and be done. And then um, next year they will have the Active Drive Assist, you know, which is their version of Super Cruise, a hands-free partially automated driving system, uh, but if you order the, the prep package for it now, uh, they install all the extra sensors, including the infrared driver monitor cameras. And on uh, on the F-150, oh,
2: oh driver uh, monitoring that thing that other companies that do ADAS
0: that claim resist. you don't need it, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, They where, what Ford has done is you know unlike Cadillac or, and GM, you know where they, they have a single camera mounted on top of the steering column that's looking at you. Ford's actually got in the F-150. They've got two. One is mounted um, on the uh, the uh, at the front at the lower front corner of the door, like right by the mirror, uh, and then the other one is uh, above the up to the upper right of the uh, the touchscreen, the 14-inch touchscreen. Uh, and so they're looking at you. The two of them are looking at you from different angles. So it gets it gets around that problem that the GMs had where if the sun was shining in from directly over your shoulder from behind, uh, it could flood the camera and it, it wouldn't be able to see you and the system couldn't activate. Because they're looking from different angles, you won't have that problem anymore. So even if one is flooded, the other one can still see you.
2: It's a, and cool. it's gonna tell you, hey, put the phone down. Exactly.
1: Yes. <laughs> I, I also, I love the, um, the tailgate work surface, the mm-hmm. details in there. They've got a place where you can, I love the old school little pencil slots that they've got they you can actually use a ruler. the tailgate, right. There's a ruler. You can use the tailgate as a clamper, like a clamp. So you can put clamps yeah, there's, on there's, that. There's
0: notches in there for C clamps.
1: Yeah. And then, you know, of course the plug is right there. So you can plug in the tool right there as well. It's just, it's really what, what I like to, again, when I just saw it, I didn't get a chance to drive it, but is it's like they had very specific people working on these different parts of the truck and then it all came together in really, really nice synthesis of, of design. It's really cool.
2: Yeah. The, the truck market is where they, they clearly want customers to know how valuable they are. Mm. And I'm just, I'm really curious what happens to the truck market. Uh, if eventually we stop our protectionism and get rid of the chicken tax, um, I wonder, you know, part of the reason why trucks are like this is because they only compete with themselves uh, among the domestic brands. You know, you can, it's very expensive for an automaker to bring a a production line here to the U.S. to produce domestically. Only companies that have done it really are are, uh, Toyota and and Nissan. And um, I'm not, not seeing anybody else really trying that, but there's a lot of trucks in the rest of the world that are, are interesting takes on it and different and more variety and better suited for some of the tasks that we just sort of push these full-size trucks into. Um, So I'd be curious to see what happens if that eventually happens. But I mean, in the meantime, uh, enjoy being coddled (laughs) because it's, it's nice.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's a great truck. They've done an excellent job updating it. And, you know, I I think fairly confident that uh, for the, for the foreseeable future, Ford will probably retain their uh, their position at the top of the truck market.
2: I think they play around with numbers with that anyway. Like that's I...
0: yeah. Well, you know, the, the thing is, you know, they don't say F one hundred and fifty sales volumes. F-series? They say F series. So right. this. You know, when they talk about, you know, 900,000 F-Series last year, that also includes all the Super Duties. Uh, but those, you know, it's it's generally split about two-thirds, one-third between the light-duty F-150 and two-thirds light-duty and then one-third uh, heavy-duty, uh, the Super Duty trucks. And the same is roughly true for uh gm and, and fca they, that's usually split about two-thirds one-third between light duty and heavy duty
2: yeah i mean gm like if if gm were to report on their platform like what is it k2 xx mm. now um for the trucks uh if they were to say the amount of those you know vehicles sold on that platform they'd probably outsell the FC. Yeah, I because GMC um,
1: and Chevrolet maybe, are split. Yeah,
2: maybe yeah, not anymore, no, but uh, it, because Ram is sort of coming up. Ram has yeah, jumped yeah. Well, into actually,
0: uh, F Series still right. outsells the the GM the GM the Chevy slash GMC trucks combined. Combined, because there were but, years
2: that they didn't. Yeah, right. uh, there
0: were some years where they didn't, but right now it does. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So uh, it, either way. There's a lot of trucks, and it's yep. still impossible to find one that's used and in good shape for not a million dollars. So, <laughs> super frustrating. Um, although I found one last night locally. It has the uh, it's it's a 2004. It has the 8.1 liter Vortec, the Mark 4 big block. And I sent my Ooh. wife a text. I was like, I really want this truck. She's like, it's old. I was like, but it has the best engine, push rods.
0: Um, all, all of uh, you know. Nine ten miles per gallon if you're lucky.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean it had a Fisher Minute Mount Plow on the front too, so it's definitely going to get zero fuel economy. <laughs> My gosh. But that's okay. It's an occasional vehicle. So Infinity decided they wanted to um, restyle. I mean, are they calling it all new with the QX fifty five or is it? it a restyle? It's a
0: it's a new model, a new nameplate. Um, you know and they they talked a lot about it being inspired by the by the FX.
2: And it's yeah, in between. It's a 55, not a 50 or a 60. It's a 55, right? That's right. There.
0: And, and <laughs> oh, you know, the Jesus. thing is, you know, the the FX and, you know, when after uh, Johan de Neichen had his way with Infinity, you know, which became <laughs> the QX70, um, you know, that was that was really kind of the first of the, you know, the so-called SUV coupes, you know, came out about five years before the BMW X6
1: yeah uh, when did the when did the fx come out was it uh, mid- 2003 yeah. 2000 okay early 2003 the fx was great
2: because it was like a a bargain um porsche cayenne it was really well, well I, done it, for was the a, out, it was it was a nice V8.
1: looking it yeah. was a nice looking porsche yeah. cayenne <laughs> it looked great and it was
2: on the fm platform so it drove well
0: yeah. Yeah, no, it you was know, fabulous. It was the same it was the same platform as the Nissan Z yeah. and, yeah. you know, the Infiniti Gs and, you know, some other some other models. So much fun. Um, the QX55, you know, is a fastback SUV, but it's not really a direct replacement for the QX70 or FX. Um th- this is basically the so-called coupe version of the QX50. I mean, if you if you look at it's on the same platform as the QX50. Uh, which we've talked about, you know, and, and quite liked, um, you know, just with you know the back end sloping forward more, uh, you know they tweak the they tweak the fascia a little bit, you know it's got a slightly larger version of the grill, you know a little more aggressive look, but you know not not notably different, um, and the the tail lights are a little different, but uh, other than that, you know it's mostly the same sheet metal, everything on inside, you know is the same, um, only the two liter variable variable compression turbo four cylinder um unlike the qx50 uh no front wheel drive version all wheel drive is standard uh so this you know this kind of sits just slightly up market of the qx50 they did hint you know during the background or i don't know if you were on that call rebecca mm-hmm. um they you know they did hint at um you know at some point in the future perhaps bringing back you know a, a, a true fx uh replacement a, a yes. QX x70 uh, but they're not ready to to talk about that uh, right now so this you know this is kind of in that you know midsize segment you know a little bit smaller than what the FX was and certainly a lot less power
1: yeah i I love this thing I th- just the looks of it obviously we haven't driven it yet but I'm I but I am so well, you've partial fifty right you know
0: I know Dan and I have I can't I...
1: Yeah, I don't know if oh. I have. I have to look back and see. I mean, it's, um, it's going to drive Steven, like a QX50. Steven, get Wait, on it. Get on I, it, Steven. I, I'm very <laughs> partial to these fast back coupe kinds oh. of looks um, because I just think they're. Oh, it's they good just, looking. It's really good. It,
2: well, looking. they just
1: they scream, I don't have children. And so. <laughs> <laughs> or I,
0: ca- I do not care about my offspring's. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, the headroom of my offspring. Uh, yeah, one, but no, one, I once just, my offspring
0: are this tall, they're on the yeah, road.
1: Right. Exactly. I just I think it's uh, really really great looking, and I think that you know, Infinity has you know, similar to Lincoln, Infinity has really been in some ways its own worst enemy. While it went through all those crazy name changes, and and while it kind of finds its place, and I think that there's a lot of opportunity here. Um, Yeah, you know, I don't know that I've driven it. I only have the Q50. I I mean, I just, I just drove the Q50 sedan. Uh, That's the one that I took down to to Virginia, coincidentally, with my girlfriend's four kids rotating in and out of it (laughs) this (laughs) summer. But I just, I think that infinity, you know, there's, there's opportunity there that's been left on the table in the last few years. And I think there's a chance for them to come back with the right product with the right marketing. The problem is the challenge that they have is that this segment and this and the entire landscape has only become more competitive with companies like Genesis bringing in, you know, like the GV80, obviously I think is a, it's not going to compete directly with this, but they're going to come out with more products that are going to compete with this. Lincoln, come, you know, the Corsair that we just talked about. So they're, from a marketing strategy standpoint, Infinity needs to continue to differentiate itself and give people a reason to purchase an Infinity and make that argument, you know, make that, that, um, that case.
0: Yeah, I mean, Infiniti, you know, for thirty years now, it's been a fascinating brand. You know, they've they've created some very interesting vehicles over the years, um, starting with the original Q forty five. I don't know, did you ever have a chance to drive a Q forty five? That was probably
1: uh, when I when I was in Boston. I must have done. I
0: mean, that you know, that, the or the original first generation Q forty five from that came out in in nineteen
1: ninety. Um, oh no 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 no! I wouldn't have done. Yeah, so.
0: I mean that that was. You know, when when BMW or when when Lexus and Infiniti launched, you know, within a few months of each other in 1990 or 89. Yeah. Um, You know, they came out. Lexus, you know, had much more conservative design. You know, they they were often compared to, you know, Japanese Mercedes Benz and Infiniti was the Japanese BMW. Um, you know, and the, the 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 Q45 had, you know, some some hints of the seven series of the time, but it had that very unique front end with that massive badge belt buckle badge which you know to, to some people you know look kind of goofy and they certainly had a weird advertising campaign Ugh. stones with like, yeah, in the water.
1: Just... they didn't show the product uh, i know right they never showed but, it's it's like one of the biggest misses in advertising yeah. for but,
0: but the but the car was great
1: it, yeah, was, it was, which makes it all the more ridiculous. I'm, yeah. I'm don't get me started.
0: And the, and the, and the G's, you know, the G35 and, you know, and experience. <laughs> oh, those and, cars are classics. Like, yeah, it, I mean, like honestly, fantastic too. N-
2: nobody, people may not think of them yet as classics, but the, the G35, G37, all the FM cars, like the,
0: yeah.
2: Fantastic. They're, they're,
0: um, and the FX, you know, yeah, it's part of that. Yeah.
2: They're a little quaint now in terms of like NVH and stuff. they, they. They thrum with energy, <laughs> but they're super good to drive. They they were really really competitive against um, you know stuff like the three series, and they were different. They they were a good solid choice, and, and Infinity has kind of walked back from that a little bit.
1: I think though, I mean, just anecdotally, if you asked journalists if you had to choose between Alexis and Acura and Infinity, a lot of people would have said Infinity. Because just the driving engagement yeah. was
0: so fun. Certainly, back yeah. back in the day, that yes, was yes,
1: exactly, great. right, yes.
0: Today, I don't, I don't think you would get. No,
1: I don't think that's the case I I at all, which Acura is unfortunate. I don't stereo. think we'd pick any of them. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'd go with Acura. They have that good stereo. <laughs> I know, <laughs> stereo. I know. Sorry,
0: I'm uh, getting the new TLX next week, right? so
2: I just drive it I'm slow and spunky. play it loud. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Um. All right. Any more thoughts on the QX55? Uh, looks good. Send them to us, Stephen. Come on, let's get on it. <laughs>
1: yes, exactly. <laughs> it'll, it'll, be, it'll
0: be, out, uh, next spring.
1: So uh,
0: it's, all it's right. still. Blah, blah,
1: blah, blah. <laughs> all
0: right. So we do have uh, one listener question, uh, this week. Um, and, uh, that is from David Parker. Uh, and David actually, uh, heard me on the, uh, on the tech guy show with Leo Laporte, which I do every Sunday. Um, and <clears throat> it says, uh, I hope you had time. I hope you have time to answer my question. I see the new Mustang has an app with a monthly fee. Is that with, and I'm, you know, he's referring here to the Mach E. Uh, is that with all electric vehicles, just being a regular guy, more cost per month plus electric charge Hmm, makes, it just makes me think more. Uh, it's like paying for a homeowner's association with no pool, <laughs> no park, no common ground. Help me with this. Is this, is this uh, what all EVs are doing? Um, and, no, actually, you don't have to pay for the app uh, for, for charging, you know, for, to, to use the app. I think uh, my, I, my guess is what David picked up on here is an issue with the active drive assist, which is we've previously talked about this with Super Cruise. Uh, for the first three years of ownership, you will get, um, you know, if you get the active, you'll, you'll get um, free Ford Pass Connect uh, complimentary for, th- for three years. After that, you'll have to subscribe to a Ford Pass Connect plan uh, to in order to get the map updates and keep Active Drive Assist working functional. Um, so that's what you're going to pay for is the connectivity. But even without that, you know the app itself you don't have to pay for that. And in fact, um, you know the the what Ford's doing with uh, with Mach E uh, and with other vehicles is they're building in charging into uh, Ford Pass, so that when you get your car, when you get you know, you get an electric Ford, you uh, just set up your account one time, uh, put in your payment information, and then from then on, when you go to charge your car, you know, if you go to uh, a, a charger that supports uh, plug-in charge, uh, like Electrify America, and I think Green Lots is doing this as well, um, you just plug plug it in, and it automatically bills you for the charging. You don't have to mess around with punching in your account number or tapping an NFC card on it or anything else. You just plug in, it will communicate with your car recognize it. Uh, you know, and it's, it's all networked and, you know, it goes back and, and, and does all the billing authentication automatically, which is actually really nice. So the app itself, and, you know, even, you know, for things like, you know, the, uh, phone, the key, you know, using the phone as a key or, uh, you know, pre, uh, pre, um, uh, preconditioning your cabin. You know, if you want, if you, if it's cold out, you know, and you want to get, get it warmed up before you go, you can do all that through the app. There's no charge for any of that. That's all free of charge. So what Ford is getting from that, though, like,
2: so anytime the app is free, you are the product. And so what Ford is getting from that is they're getting information about how, how things are, are being used, where you're charging, and and they can aggregate that data. And it's, it's not nefarious per se. It's actually going to wind up making a better consumer experience because it, it's building in that research loop, that user testing. Um, they're going to be able to see what people are doing and then better meet those needs to, to a degree. They're still going to have to ask people, um, hey what stuff don't we offer that you wish we did and, and that kind of stuff but i expect that the data and the learning that they get from having the free apps is is very beneficial to even the the buyer at the end of the day um, and you know with with having to update stuff uh, i don't like the idea of a monthly subscription fee to a feature in my car um, although you know, stuff like the maps for the nav system you've had to pay to upgrade those for a while at least in some cars i, I had to to buy I mean, it the, used to
0: be, you know, you you would have to go to your dealer right. and buy a new DVD, right. you know, and you know for eight hundred dollars right. and load that in, and it'll load up your new maps, you know, for, for eight hundred bucks, you know, every year, which was, you know, that was crazy. Right, I, mean, I had to do that with the
2: expensive. so the UConnect in our um, our Grand Cherokee. Um, I wanted to upgrade, update the map, so I bought the update. And it turns out, like, a, the car needs to be running. B, I've got to update the OS first and then the maps. And it all came on a thumb drive. And then, see, it's gonna take two hours. It's gonna sit in the driveway idling. Oh for my gosh, hours. running? Yeah. Oh my god. And I'm just like, really? Uh, so I just haven't gotten around to it <sighs> yet. But uh, and that was a hundred bucks to, to upgrade the map. So like, there there is some ongoing cost, and there's really no way to kind of get around that because. Um, you know, OTA updates haven't happened and and the systems are old enough that, uh, they, they take some labor to, uh, update. So actually the over the air updates are going to be better. Um, paying for an update isn't probably a big deal. Paying a subscription fee. I don't, I don't like that. Like I bought the thing. I want the feature. Um, but as an automaker, when you're looking at, uh, you know, how the market is shifting and you're looking to maybe create some recurring revenue, you know, um, like uh, take a software sales model, uh, I can see how it's a natural move. It's it's kind of customer hostile, but, um, you know, some people are going to pony up for it. So.
0: Yeah, and, you know, I mean, software updates, you know, it costs money to develop them and validate them and, and distribute them. I mean, there's bandwidth associated with, you know, over the air updates. Um, you know, I mean, when, you know, today, you know, OTA updates are mostly just done I mean, the the only company, the first company to do it, you know, bumper to bumper like this was Tesla. And, you know, even, you know, the bandwidth costs for Tesla as their fleet grew larger, have gotten pretty significant, you know, they used to do all the OTA updates directly over the the cellular connection, the cellular data connection. Now, um, if you don't buy a premium connectivity package from uh, from Tesla, you have to have your car connected to your Wi Fi to get those updates because of the cost of the bandwidth uh, and you know the same is going to be true for, for everybody else if you're connected to Wi-Fi you'll get the updates for free otherwise you'll have to have you know a, a subscription to the, the connectivity package just I mean it's like using your phone I mean, you use data on your phone you got to pay the your cellular provider for that and car makers have somebody's got to pay for that as well uh, and you know when you've got tens of millions of cars on the road that need updates, that's a lot of data uh, and you know some you know manufacturers are looking you know there's companies looking at you know okay how can we reduce the size of those updates you know so there's not as much data but you know one of the nice things about this you mentioned you know having your car sit running in the driveway for two hours while it updates the OS and the yeah. maps all of this stuff on these new vehicles is going to happen in the background it's just gonna happen seamlessly um, and you know it'll download you know download the update when it's all done it'll install it. And then it'll just, depending on what the update is, in some cases it'll just flip over while you're driving. It'll just switch from one oh, partition m- to another. M- maybe not while you're driving. But, maybe. Well, <laughs> dep- like things like maps. Yeah, you know, okay, you maps. Can do that. Right. You can do that on the fly. Sure. Uh, safety critical systems, those, the next time you start the car, it will switch over. Yeah, and know, it'll so come up with
2: all the kind of lawyer screens you got to click through like nine times. Like, yes, yeah. I really want to do this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, it's going to be an interesting few years as they get their, uh, their software game together. But I, I do agree that the, the idea of having to subscribe to a feature you already bought is, is offensive to me. I don't, I don't like that. Um, I don't expect that my opinion is going to change what happens, but I will do my best to avoid buying at, a Well, actually
0: it's it, that. it will, it will have an impact because, you know, manufacturers are going to look at, you know, okay, what You know, because they they have to figure out how to price this stuff and figure out, okay what are the features that people are going to be willing to pay for or not? A great example was BMW with CarPlay. You know, a couple of years ago, they said, okay, you know, you're going to have to pay $80 a year for Apple CarPlay if you want to use it in your BMW. And there was so much uproar over that that, you know. With, you know, less within less than a year, they said they changed it and went back to, OK, it's just going to be a one time charge when you buy the car Then you don't have to ever pay for it again. Similarly, when they you know announced they're doing over the air updates earlier this year and we I think we talked about this, you know, the idea of paying for a subscription to something like heated seats. You know, <laughs> I talked right. I talked to BMW about that and they said that, you know. It's going to vary by market depending you know what we think the consumer acceptance is going to be. In North America, they probably will not do that by subscription.
2: Well, I mean, it's just like that. In, in some
0: markets, they will.
2: That's abusive, though. And, and the idea that they would have to roll that out, and, like with, with CarPlay, it just astounds me that there's no better way to figure that out than, than really uh, frustrating a lot of customers and taking a hit to your, your, your brand image. And stuff. Like there had to have been a better way to float that trial balloon than just doing it and getting everybody agitated.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> but that's, that's what they did. And, you know, but I think it's a lesson that I think everybody in the industry is going to be learning over the next several years is trying to figure out how to do this stuff.
2: All right. Well, uh, I think we have, we have answered that and then some, so uh, that's about it for, for, Episode one hundred and seventy. So, thanks everybody for listening. Um, mass is ended. Go in peace to love and drive your car. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, you know where to find us. Anyway, we are at uh, feedback at wheelbearings media. We're on all the social medias and let us know what's up, and we'll we'll keep answering the questions. So, thanks for listening. Godspeed. Bye. <laughs> Godspeed, thanks. <guys. laughs>